Welcome, everyone, to the Inspired Jewish Woman podcast, a place to come together to meet other passionate Jewish women from around the globe. We here value unity, and we come together from different backgrounds, places, and stages in life. We focus on what unites us, being a Jewish woman. We believe that every woman has a beautiful and unique light to shine to our community and to the world. In these podcast interviews, we find the light in others, and we learn from everyone. These are the topics that matter most to you and empower you to be the inspired Jewish woman that you want to be. Enjoy the podcast. Good morning, good afternoon. We're in different time zones, but all good. The world is so small nowadays, right? It's just, Isn't we're all funny. Well, hello, everybody, to all of our viewers and listeners. Welcome back to another installment of our Inspired Jewish Women podcast, our weekly bringing forward another amazing woman, and I am so blessed in my life. God puts me together with so many incredible women, and I am excited to share their unique stories and their light with you. So today we have Wendy Weiner Rungi. Wendy's kind of like, she's like Cher or Madonna. Like you, she doesn't like... Oh, that's so cute. That's cute. That's how, that's how I kind of feel about that's you. Fine. I'm like, Thank you, you. Know, Wendy, Wendy, you know, with the story. Because have- I cherry picked you out. I was like, oh, this woman has something. And then we talked and talked. And then finally, I was in Seattle. You were in Seattle. We hung out. Went out for Chinese food, which I think was your first experience of Chinese food. And we had a great conversation. I always knew that we were going to do some work together in some way because I find you incredibly inspiring. And I would say like the real deal as someone that lives her faith that has been through really difficult times and has emerged not only, you know, as a survivor or, you know, victorious, but has emerged as someone that could now share their message of hope, of faith with other people. So I'd like to thank you. What a nice compliment. Thank you. Pass the microphone over to you. Tell us a little bit. I mean, I have your bio. You can't come from Omaha, Nebraska. Like that is, I've never been there. So Wendy and her two sisters became more observant during their high school because it made their parents crazy. That was my reason. I mean, there were other reasons, obviously, but that was like, what a great rebellion. Oh my gosh. We're not going to be like out on the streets or doing crazy things. We're going to wear skirts. No, you're not. Yes, we are. No, you're not. It was awesome. It's so funny because, you know, Rabbi Yom Tov Glazer, who became kind of a chassid, he's a popular figure in Israel, when his parents had a really hard time with his returnee, you know, coming back, his teshuva process, his parents said, it's a cult. Don't do it. And he said, yeah, it's the cult of your ancestors. Oh, exactly. And I think secretly our parents probably had no formal Jewish education at all. I think they probably went in the kitchen with like, yes. But at the time, it was like the thing, you could clash about that. So it was like, oh, it was, and it was always, you know, fun, collegial. My mom is really smart. And she said, okay, if you want to keep kosher, we're not going to keep kosher. But if you want to keep kosher, I'm going to buy you a set of 12 place settings of dishes. And if you want us all to eat together for shop or something, you cook. And that was like a great education. So yeah, by the way, they became observant later too. So it was like, that was really cool. Anyway, keep going. Wendy is also a producing partner. I write and produce feature films. Wow. Okay, so let's just jump right in. I want to pass it over to you. I want you to share a bit of your story, and hopefully we can all learn something really interesting here today. 
So in a nutshell, I, this is not something I ever thought I would do. I never thought, oh, I'm going to grow up and be a movie producer. My parents were involved in the theater and I was in theater and all the way through college and Toro. Like I took classical ballet, like stuff, voice lessons, like I stuff, but not, not that I could ever use it for like as a professional. I'm not that good. It wasn't that good. I just liked it. So I'm okay. I'm good on stage. I'm just a stage actor. So, but I learned that again in life, you take a little, little trinkets, you know, that you're, you have and you put them in your bag and then you kind of go on and see where it kind of applies later. So I got married and moved to Minnesota, which is where we live now, 37 winters because we real transplants only count the winters. And so my husband owns a restaurant here. He owns the only kosher pizza shop and it's fantastic, by the way. It's crazy good. Basil. And so my husband, Peter, Peter and Wendy, like Peter Pan. So I, but I never thought I'd be a film producer. Like it never occurred to me ever, not one time. And then someone handed me a script. I have an English literature degree. And they said, what do you think of the script? And I said, oh, it's interesting. I like the way it's, the character arcs are. I think this is really interesting. And I hand it back. Like, I'm done. Like, I, I give my opinion. I'm done. He said, well, what do you think of the first 12 pages? And I said, oh, I, I like the way you enter the story. Totally unexpected. Very dramatic. Really interesting. And he said, okay, well, we're going to pull out the first 12 and shoot a short film just using that to those 12 pages and then send that to Hollywood and New York, and see if we can get some interest. You know, maybe someone's, oh, we're going to do the script and whatever. So I entered in film festivals. So he said, would you executive produce it? And I had to go to the Google to find out. I didn't know what executive producers do. Executive producers are Jewish moms. They take people and projects. They put them together to get them funded, polished, and sold. That's it. Like you do with your kids. You take them. You fund them, obviously. You make sure they're, you get them polished, and you get them out the door. Same thing. I got four kids. I can figure this out. So did that, and it came back and, like, sent it to people he knew for a couple of weeks and nothing like crickets. And he was really dismayed. And so I said, well, I know a few people. Let me see if I can, you know, help. So I sent it out to a few people that I knew in Hollywood and right away, it's so crazy. The Jewish world works so fantastically. Somebody that I know, his wife was college roommates with someone whose father is a producer. How obscure, right? What a, like a weird connection. Didn't matter. Boom. Four weeks later, we're in Hollywood signing a deal, you know, to produce the film. And then I was like, oh, but only if I was attached because I was the only party in this they knew. And I came back to my husband and said, I guess I just changed careers because I, they will only, you know, if I'm attached. And it's like, okay, great. Didn't really, okay, great. Fine. You know, whatever. It's fun. You'll do it for a little while. And that was 13 years ago. And uh, sometimes it gets me in a lot of trouble. And usually, thank God, I have really good people around me and help me get out of trouble. But the big picture is my why, Alice Simon Sinek who said, people don't buy what you do or how you do it. They buy why you do something. What's the core essence of who you are? And that thing, that passion has to come through what you do professionally and you'll be successful. So my why is to incite gratitude. I don't have any interest in inspiring gratitude. That means I did something. But I want to tell stories and provide the opportunity for people to think about something that good or bad that happened to them that they're grateful for. Because I believe in gratitude is the catalyst for heroic action. I believe that when we feel grateful for something, here's an example. If I borrow a dollar from you today, Eve, and I pay you back tomorrow, we're even. But when you do something extraordinary for me, I can't pay you back in kind because you don't need the same exact thing I needed. It's not so simple. That doesn't mean I don't have a debt to pay, but I believe that I am obligated to find someone who needs something extraordinary and deliver it to them because I am repaying it for it. So I was paying it for that means it starts with me. It doesn't start with me. It's a long chain. And I know that my partner and I, we stand on the shoulders of giants. And those people give us and they teach us the hard lessons and the good lessons and 
support us and all kinds of things. And that, that process is just a gratitude factory. So then what do we do? I find people who need to be lifted up. And sometimes they fit beautifully in the melange of what we're doing. And sometimes it's just my opportunity to give someone that boost that needed. So all that said, that's yeah. my jam. And to incite gratitude, if you've not seen the Simon Sinek, nice Jewish boy, who wrote a book called Start With Why. And he just draws it. It's not people don't buy what you do or how you do something. They buy why you do it. What's the heart and soul? What's your drive? And that's that thing, your why is that thing pulls you out of bed in the morning. Mm-hmm. I get to go do this. And that's your why. That's, your, that's this fire that's in you. We all have that. Either we nurture it or we try and squelch it. You know what? Tamping it down doesn't work. So you have to go with it. So, Wendy, um, I just want to stop you. You know, this whole, the last couple of months that we've all been, you know, in different boats. I think we're all in the same storm with Corona, but we're all in our right. different boats. Some of us have too right. many people in our house. Some of us have too little people in our house and we're, right. we're isolated. Everyone's kind of in a storm right now financially and everyone has different situations. Right. But the one thing that has pulled me through has been gratitude. Is that so powerful? powerful? Because, you know, there's been a lot of fear. Like right now, we don't know what the future holds. We don't know about our jobs. Isn't it crazy? It's August. On any other year, if you said, what will your kids be doing for school this year? You knew 100% sure. Now we know nothing. We have to get comfortable in the not knowing. Yeah. There have been many lessons of letting go and letting God and realizing that we're not in control. That's for sure. I think the whole world realizes we're not in control. But this gratitude has really carried us through because I've realized that you can't be grateful and fearful at the same time. So if you lead with gratitude, it actually changes the whole experience. And something I've been trying to do is just see, you know, look for, find, seek the right. silver linings that you could say, wow, thank you, God, or thank right. you to my friend or to my husband or to this child. Finding the good, right. finding that place of gratitude right. really is a game changer. I just read something that was so profound. I have to call a friend of mine and thank him. And he said, what if we look at 2020 as the fresh start we needed? Instead of looking at like, oh my gosh, it's a plague. Like, oh my gosh, where's Moses? We got another plague here. Like what's going on? If we look at it like it's a fresh start, it is. It's a time where we just, it's a turn and go. I never saw things that way before. I didn't appreciate, you know, I didn't, a Zoom call is much fun as, you know, if you said it was six months ago, would you like to Zoom Eve or go have coffee? It's like, duh, like, it, you know, oh, I want to hang out. But this is, this is like a treat. So if everything is nothing. So I come to that in a kind of a different way because I produced films in Iowa and did everything they told me to do, followed the directive of the state official. And then when the program collapsed, they wanted to renege on the contracts they had issued to me. And it was $84 million of which legally I had the right to sue for. I wasn't going to, but they didn't know that because from the day I was arrested for causing all kinds of crazy stuff in Iowa, technically what they say, causing the corrupting two different departments of state government. Are you kidding? Like I live 250 miles away. How is it possible? From the day they arrested me to today, they've never questioned me. They never asked what happened. They never cared. They just like, oh, well, we just assume they didn't want to pay me. I didn't ask for the money. They didn't even ask me, are you going to sue? Are you going to demand the money? They never asked. That said, so long story short, trial, craziness. Now, my attorney is arguably one of the best attorneys in the United States. I happened to, crazy, a Christian lobbyist that I had met one time called me and said, you need this attorney. And he won't take your call unless you tell him it's coming from me. And I'm like, oh, I never ever laid eyes on this man. 
this angel who, and he gave me the phone. He said, you got to call him right now and tell him because he's just going back to practice. Whatever. His name is Matthew Whitaker. Matthew Whitaker, if you remember your news, was the acting attorney general of the United States of America a year ago. It, you know, in the transition, like this is a very highly regarded attorney. Went in, spoke with them, and he's like, I'll take your case. So we fought, 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 but they blocked us every way, every which way. At the end of an eight-day trial, which is a nightmare, I took a plea bargain. I said, I didn't know I wasn't supposed to trust the state official, and I apologize. And they said, that's not good enough. And they sent me to 10 years in a women's maximum security prison. Now, understand, no restitution. So if you get a parking ticket and you're, oh, man, I got a parking ticket, and my inner expired, I have to pay $50, that $50 is restitution. I had zero dollars of restitution because I didn't really commit a crime. I mean, in the context of, oh, you broke a law. I did what the state officials told me to do while he was working in the Capitol, like everybody else did. They just owed me the most money. So he also was arrested and had nine felony counts against him. I had 15 at one point in time. It went down to five when I went to trial. Okay. So I said, I didn't know. Right away, the judge, I called in for sentencing, and he says, you're the worst kind of person. How dare you? You, you use your faith as a shield. Da-da-da. And how could you possibly? And you're going to prison for 10 years. Oh, okay. Shackle me up and take me off. Six weeks later, the state official went on trial, and he was acquitted on eight counts, but he was convicted of one count, felonious misconduct in office for misdirecting me. So he was convicted by a jury of telling me what to do that was wrong or was now wrong, you know, after the fact. And for that, the same judge said, sir, clearly you were overworked in your position. And he gave him a $750 fine for misdirecting me, so I went to prison. But none of that was admissible in the hearings. Long story short, I went to prison. Surrendered. I served in a maximum security women's prison for six months and four days. And it was the most incredible experience of my life. I mean, they were terrified that, oh my gosh, the white supremacists were going to come kill me or the Muslim women. It was super interesting. I wouldn't recommend it to anybody because it's kind of a drag and it was really hard on my family. It wasn't something I opted for, by the way, because I was like, there's just no, it doesn't make any sense. There's no restitution. I didn't commit a crime, but you've been sentenced. It doesn't make any sense. Legally, ethically, morally, it doesn't. And so I surrendered and I was like, this is a great new experience. This is that fresh start. This is a super experience. And so the guards would whisper to me, you don't belong here. You know, you shouldn't be here. It's not, this place is not for you how long are you here? And I said, I'm here until God decides that I can do more good outside than inside. So I counseled, I wrote appeals, I wrote commutations, all this stuff. And the day before, so the chief judge removed the case from the judge that had been handling it. And he called me into court. And the day before, the counselor who was working on my case said to me, I hope they don't let you go tomorrow. I was like, hmm, well, I do. And she said, no, because you really helped these women here. So many women have been really impacted by your, your efforts. And, you know, I just could really use your help. And I said, isn't it your job to get us out of prison? Like, is that the thing? Open the gates? And she said, yeah, the ones that are paying the us, but you're like really helpful. So I said, I'm sorry to disappoint you. I hope you let me go. I have children home to mentor. In the scope of being like six months, if I, it was a terrible six months and four days because I missed my son's bar mitzvah. I mean, there were huge family things that I should have been there for, and I wasn't. And to wrap your head around that, you know, for years we talked about the porcupine quills in his heart that I couldn't be there. Why couldn't you make them do it, Mommy? I was in lockdown. Like, they weren't listening. They didn't listen. They didn't ask me anything. They didn't listen. So, anyway. I mean, I just recently watched the movie Shawshank Redemption. But I think it was a very, like, it was a rough experience. I mean, people were killed in the prison setting. I mean, like, yeah. 
you know, yeah. you get beaten up. You, I mean, it just seemed right. like a corrupt situation. I wasn't there alone because every minute of every day, I felt that God was watching me. When you're in a situation like that, you know, I hear about people who are, you know, God forbid their car plunges into a lake and they're going under and they feel things. So I had that experience like the whole time. I didn't, after the fact, I found out that my attorney had sent the other attorneys into the prison to supervise and watch over and take stock. But they were, I mean, they were as mean as they could be. The warden hated me because I was, I only ate kosher and I never would uncover my hair and like, you know, certain things. So for Passover, they just decided not to give me food. It's like, oh, we're just not going to give you food. I was like, well, then I'm just not going to eat. They kept sending me chametz. I'm like, I'm not eating it. I'm not eating bagels. I'm not doing it. So six months later, when I was released, Baruch Hashem's a miraculous release. And Chief Judge brought me into court. And he said, I don't know why you're here at all. You're going home today. That's it. And he filleted the attorney general who prosecuted me. And he sent me home. So my husband was there in the courtroom. And sure enough, Baruch Hashem, we came home. Like a blink of an eye. That's the thing we have to understand, that at any moment in time, anything can change. Anything. In the blink of an eye, you hear that expression all the time? It's true. I went from being in shackles to everyone in the entire jail cells cheering, including the guards in this huge holding cell when they're like, Wendy, you're going home now. Walk out the door. Like, it's huge. I'm getting, like, chills just listening to the story. I mean, you told this me before, but it's so powerful. I'm, I'm, what I'm it's intense. Saying, sorry you had to go through it. But I'm just seeing you being who you are in this place that is full of darkness and you still shining your light, still making... It just takes a little light to make a lot of people see where they're going, like a lot of people. And some, there are two women today with no chance of parole sentences, no chance. You lose hope, you're throwing the key, and neither of them committed a crime. And two of them... These two are not Jewish. There is one woman who is Jewish who's in there still, and they won't let me have access to her or to help in any way. But these two women, one was there for 30 years, and the other was there for 18 years. I wrote a commutation for the 118, and the 30 years, I worked with her on something, and she was able to get her sentence changed to with chance of parole, and she was released two years later. And they're both my Facebook friends now, which is a surreal thing. It's like, oh my gosh, you know, they were throwaway. These are forever, ever, ever. You're never getting out. And thank God they got out. You can be a light where they didn't, we have an obligation to be a light, but how do you do that? That differs for everybody because everybody's in a different situation. God doesn't put us in a situation that we cannot handle. I mean, there are very, 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 very difficult situations and God forbid, you know, never want to know from them. There's that old Yiddish story or whatever about all of your friends got together around the table and you brought your bag of troubles and you put it in front of you. And all of you got to look in everybody else's bag at all their troubles. And you look, oh my, you brought your worst stuff. Check what you got in yours. Nah. Exactly. Yeah, exactly. Really? You got that? And at the end of this little meeting, you would take your own bag of troubles and go home with it. You wouldn't trade with anybody because their stuff is for them. This was for me. Like this is in the craziest, weird way. This was for me and my family and the wonderful people around us who supported us. And really the like the community and my friend Lisa, like people really, like people were all over me. Like, oh my gosh, you know, whatever. And they were like, no, you don't understand. This is not, not really what happened because I was never allowed to speak. I was never questioned. I was never allowed to speak at all, ever. Not in trial, not ever. So you get that space. Like, well, it's all too weird. There's a reason for this. You know, this time of year, we just finished the three sad weeks in the Jewish calendar and ending in Tisha B'Av, the saddest day of the year. year. I mean, terrible atrocities. And then, like, it's interesting. Like, 
right after Kishabav, we have Shabbat Nachamu, which was last Shabbat. God says, I will console you. I will comfort you, my people. We have this double consolation. And it's like, get up. It's like Shiva's right. over. Time to get up. Seven weeks till Rosh Hashanah. Like there's one way to go. We hit rock bottom. And I always like, it's so beautiful because obviously we want to get up. We want right. to rise. We want to be radiant. We want to be joyful. It's not yeah, for sure. pleasant to be in that pit of mourning. But it's right. also very hard to transition. Like you're in this place where you're really limiting your joy and then you go out and you go on with life and it's like, okay, put the music back on. But the truth is people are still in pain. Like right. the tragedies have not gone away. Right, right. Um, very dear friend of mine has lost a loved one during this time. And I've never experienced just being on an, as an outsider. I want to take away her pain. And there's nothing I could say or do that will, will I could you know, try, and maybe she feels it, maybe she doesn't, but there is this kind of feeling of like, you're in this pit still, right. yeah, okay, I'm coming, I'm trying to grow, I'm trying right. to What I love of your experience is, I mean, you wanted to title this, Finding Joy in the Dark Places. I mean, that's amazing, because sometimes it takes a lot of time to look back with hindsight and say, right. you know what, I've grown from this experience. Right. Um, a friend of mine recently, I mean, this is going back two, three years, she tried very hard to fall pregnant and they had to go through treatments and it was costly and it was not simple and it was pain, emotionally, everything. And thank God, thank God, so exciting. She was pregnant. And I remember it was around this time of year in the summertime around Tishabav when she called me that morning to say she lost her pregnancy. And I came over and I sat with her and she was in so much pain and there was nothing I could say. There was nothing I could say. She was in her pain and I just was with her in that. And I do remember, you know, trying to find the words like, it's going to be okay. I mean, could you even say that? What do you even say? And I just remember, I said, you know, sometimes God says yes. Sometimes God says no. And sometimes God says, I have something better in mind for you. Trust me. And I remember telling her that those words, even though I don't know where they were landing, and I don't know if it was the right thing to say, if you could even hear that. Is there a right thing? But shortly after, she fell pregnant again with twins. And now she has these two beautiful twins, a boy and a girl. And and there was something better that God had in mind. There was a reason for the pain that she went through. Wendy, just tell us a little bit, like you went through this very dark time. What pulled you through when you were in that pit? I mean, did you think like, I'm getting out soon. I could get through this one day at a time. No, I thought 10 years. I mean, they said 10 years. So it's like, well, so kiss my kids goodbye. I wouldn't let them come visit me because it's me. It's just gross there. So. And if they had to turn around and walk away, it would have been just devastating for them. So that said, you know, they're like, oh, it probably won't be 10, maybe two and a half, it'd be five. But that's a long time in the process of raising yeah. children. So I didn't know. But here's the craziest thing. I was mad for a long time. I was angry. And none of it made sense. Like the charges, and they kept dropping them and adding more and taking them away and saying I did things I didn't do and they had no proof. And it was just crazy. And they could say whatever they wanted to and I could never respond. They never respond. You know, you want to say, no, it's not fair. They don't care, whatever. And there was no place. So at once I got inside prison, like really inside him in this just gross, gross situation, I realized that the problem all the time was that I was inconvenienced by this sudden left turn that my life had taken. And inconvenience is ego. I am, had this very soothing recognition that I am in only in control of what I think. 
and nothing else is going to give me joy except what I think. So I can choose to see good or I can choose to not, to just live in this ego-centered, it's inconvenient, I have children to raise, I have a business, I have whatever, whatever, my husband, my family, my parents, like everything. I could choose to get to the root of it and say, you know, I will not live like that. Mm-hmm. I will not. And it was a really big epiphany and it was painful to realize that the whole time I was angry, it was my ego. So how do we counteract that? You said it before, gratitude. Like in your mind, you were free. I was free the whole time. First time. Crazy that so many people that are free in the world are really imprisoned, right? right? So much so. An addiction or, oh my gosh, I have to lose this six pounds before I can do it or whatever. Like obsessive obsessive. So I can lose a lot more than six pounds. But if it doesn't happen, I'm not captive to that. I don't have this mindset of, oh, I'm limited by XYZ. Like, oh, then Hashem has a different way of delivering. If that's really what I need, he's going to deliver it. My rabbi, Rabbi Chaim Goldberger, wrote a fantastic book that I recommend for everybody, The Six Steps of Bitachon. And it's very short and it's in English for everybody. And it really speaks to the idea that we talk about we want to have faith, we want to have faith. Faith is great. But faith isn't the same as trust. I have faith in, you know, that the sun will come up tomorrow. But trust is when I close my eyes just before the first light of dawn. I trust that when I open my eyes, there'll be a spark of light in this otherwise dark scenario. Trust is the most profoundly beautiful, empowering trust in God. Trust that God has me. He created me. He developed me like this. I am this my mother says, don't say you're aggressive, which is great. Thank you, mommy. So this assertive that I'm like this verbose, like all the things, whatever. I really only have three skills, but whatever. So like stuff, nobody can trash a kitchen as well as I can. I am so good at making my kitchen dirty. It's unbelievable. I, when my daughter goes to Israel shortly for the year and there's no kids at home, we, we'll just be like, I don't know what we're going to do. My husband's going to clean it. I'm, I'm, we're, it's going to be bad. So there's a lot of things I don't do well. This particularly, I was very gifted with the blessing of being able to recognize, look, I'm going to just choose to trust and it's never let me down. So every time I trust and it's right, I am so grateful. It's just this unbelievable cycle. I'm grateful. So then something good happens and then I'm grateful for that and something good happens. And then I'm just seeing that God is just carrying me. Crazy scenario. Seriously, trust. It's beyond faith. In Hebrew, we say emunah. Emunah is faith. And that's, you know, it could be blind faith. And it's lovely. And then there's bitachon, which you're translating as trust. I don't even know if I would use the word trust. Yeah. It's another level of faith. It's irrefutable. Mm-hmm. When you trust something, it's irrefutable. If I turn on the tap and put fresh water in a cup and I make a blessing over it and I put it to my lips, it's not going to be mercury. It's not going to be ice. I mean, I put it like it's, not, it's trust. It's just trust it because it's going to happen. You're projecting something into the world and it's going to happen. Now, during- so that's times in my life where we had very little stability, like we're moving and we're like looking for new jobs, we're making big decisions. And I always hold on to this trust, to this bitachon. I always tell myself, hold on, God has never let me down. Like Not one time. Right? Not one time. Even the things that were very, very difficult were exactly what we needed to go through. So he has a good track record. It's that trust. It's that knowing that you can lie back down. God is going to catch you. It's going to be okay because he's never let you down before. But there's a reason for it. What would you say, Wendy, was the biggest takeaway 
if you choose to look for the little tiny things that God does all the time, it's not just the rainbow and the big scenario. It's little tiny things. If you string those together, it's an unending chain. And so like on Shavuot, the holiday, and where God gave us the Torah, on the mountain, Mount Sinai, where the Torah was given, was covered in flowers to make it more pleasant to God's people. Isn't that great? So on Shavuot, it's very common to fill your house with flowers to remember that God is making things more pleasant for us. And it's the spring and all kinds of things. I love lilacs. And there is, was one tiny little scrub of a lilac bush in the prison yard. And that lilac bush only maybe had like, I don't know, 10 clusters and whatever it was. Like it was the saddest little thing ever. And they all opened on Shavuot. Wow. And that was God giving me flowers where I wasn't going to see flowers any other way. There's no way. And I was like, he did that for me. If you can see in that a flower opening as in that God does for you because you need it. I think the most important component is that Judaism is not a religion. It's a relationship. We choose to have a relationship with God because he chose us. So in that context, so relationships, so how do you reaffirm relationship? Can you just say, okay, I love you, honey. I'll see you in a year. I love you, honey. I'll see you. No, it's like a constant unbroken chain. So I look at my obligation to have this like relationship with God. It's not 50-50, it's 100-100. I have to give 100% and on the other side, like be 100% like willing to see what God does for me, yeah, right? Yeah. It's a deal, you know, relationship. So we have to be there for him. But to do for others, that gives us the right to ask for things. You know, hey, Hashem, I'm gonna do this and I need help. Can you know help me? And then on the other side of it, we have to look and see what we're actually getting. I don't get anything from them. Really? Well, so if you take a breath, what happens? If I say, take a breath, and what'd you do? We took a breath and our ears told our brains, enact our nervous system, and we took a breath. And what happened? We took a breath and it feels great, right? Automatically we relax, right? But what do we do? We actually took in the oxygen from there. It was right there. It was available to us. And then we let it out. So we feel better physically and emotionally because we stopped for a second and took a breath. All that came from God. Not one single little bit of it didn't. So thank you so much for the opportunity. Every time we take oh, a breath and thank so, God so for it, we'll get another one. Thank you. Wendy, what's the best way people could find you? LinkedIn, Facebook. They can find me through Eve because she knows how to find me. I okay, do post good. a lot on Facebook and Instagram and LinkedIn a lot. I work with a lot of great contacts there. So I'm happy to share, happy to have more conversations like this. If there's something I can do, please let me know. I'm so proud of you. You're doing great. And this is just, I don't know, you gave a lot one. of thought over here. We need to open our eyes a little bit more to see every little see. thing. Even the flowers in prison as a gift from God. It's just all about attuning our eyes and just really, totally. really like look around totally. with fresh eyes. Wow, totally. this was incredible. Thank you, yeah, Wendy. Bye. Thank you. I mean, by you as well. Bye, Thanks everyone. for letting me have this time. Hatzlacha. Bye, everybody. Bye-bye. Bye, everybody. Thank you for listening. We value that you are a part of our community. Be sure to check out our other podcast episodes and to learn more about the work that we do at Inspire Jewish Women, please check us out on Facebook, Instagram, and on our website at www.inspiredjewishwomen.com. Notice that we use the word woman and not woman in plural because Jewish women are most powerful 
when we bond together and we together can create amazing positive changes in the world. Bye for now. Hope to see you again soon so we could continue this conversation.